0: Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us, because we believe that helps us understand them and draw more power out of them, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and I'm so happy about uh, the special topic and the special guest that we have today. We have with us Brent Schmidt from uh, BYU-Idaho. He teaches at, at BYU-Idaho, and uh, I know Brent, well, first of all, I guess I'll tell you he's from Utah. He's from Utah. Uh, studied classics at um, the University of Utah and also history, I believe, and then uh, PhD uh, at University of Colorado. Uh, worked, uh, I know, with John Welch uh, at BYU Studies for a long time, and and John got him to do uh, a bunch of things with BYU Studies, then Book of Mormon Central. Um, and, uh, and just a second after we've let Brent introduce himself a little bit more, we'll talk about some of the books he's written, which is part of how I've gotten to know him. Also, uh, when uh, I was the, the director of research at uh, in the ancient scripture department at BYU, uh, we sometimes needed someone to review works that had a heavy Greek emphasis. And Brent is so good with his Greek that we asked uh, Brent to do that. And I think that's where we first got to know each other. And then we've been on follow up together and we're working on projects together that are uh, what what we'll end up talking about today. So welcome, Brent. What else should we know right. about you?
1: I also worked for the Catholic Church for about 10 years when I was a a student at the University of Utah.
0: Oh, that's great. I didn't know that.
1: I I taught Latin. I was the Latin teacher. I also taught some Spanish, too. And I got to study kind of, you know, I guess informally with a lot of priests over lunch conversations about doctrine, how to interpret the New Testament, Catholic theology about different subjects, and then... When I went to graduate school, I got to study a lot of patristic text and Greek and Latin. So I, I think I've read you know, most most things that have been preserved in Greek and
0: Latin and Greek and Latin at one point. So like all these books behind me, the, the Antinousian Fathers, you've, yes. the, you've read all that stuff in, in the original, huh? The... I
1: have. Yeah. And I had to do that. And In some ways, I got to the point where I felt like I knew Catholic doctrine better than the priests, right? Eventually. <laughs> they oh, me that's after, fantastic. After and you have a involved. family, I believe. I do. Yeah. Uh, my wife, uh, we've been married for 23 years. My wife's from Chile. Uh, I speak Spanish at home and I have one son. He's, we're trying to get him ready to go on a mission. He's a student. His name is Derek. He, he's a student here at BYU, Idaho. Oh,
0: well, that's great. Uh, well,
1: to wonderful. Out, so I don't know if you'll hear him, but yeah, well,
0: maybe so that'd be great. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, has brought Brent and I together is he's been uh, doing some studies on some words that uh, uh, have are of interest to me, some Greek words that uh, end up, we feel like having some uh, equivalents and some Hebrew words that I've been really interested in. You've published a couple of books along those lines. Why don't you tell us about your books that are you've already published and the ones that are about to come out? And I'll try and remember to put the these in the show notes. I, I'm pretty bad at remembering that, but I'll try and remember to do that.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Carrie. Yes, I can also give a, a free PDF of of my first book on on the word carus. Uh carus, it's actually a little more guttural, but it's usually translated as grace. And then the Latin equivalent would be gratia. And so it, it they all of course they come from a an earlier root. That, that just be, basically means uh, a gift or some kind of a favor that people receive. Also, it could be something like like you are pleased about something or
0: maybe it has some kind of radiance originally. But
1: yeah, anyway, I think that's what
0: time. we'll end up talking a bit about today. Right. Yeah. But you've got a whole book on that.
1: Yeah, I, ha- I have a book on that. Yeah. And so it's called Relational relational Grace. And it's, it's basically the history of this Greek word charis. Yeah, and it goes good into like gratia. and then I, about so about the first third of the book, it, it goes into how was the word chorus understood in archaic and then classical and Hellenistic times. So that would be going down to the time of Paul, and yeah. then I I demonstrate how a verse would probably be understood in Paul's time, just be, because I I spent so much time just reading Greek literature that I kind of got a feel for probably how people would understand the words. If you're a, a Gentile living in Rome or in Galatia, like what would that word mean? So, Uh, so tell us, uh, or I guess
0: we can come back to it. If you want to talk about your other books first. uh, Yeah. Whichever way you'd like to go.
1: Okay. Yes. Uh, So that's the first book. Um, And I'll, I'll just forward a, a free PDF. If any of your listeners would like, like a free PDF of that. Um, And then I published another book called Relational Faith, and so when I used to hang out with a lot of these priests, I would notice that they understood the word faith very differently than a Latter-day Saint would, and so the the Greek word is pistis, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, translated in Latin as fides, but anyway, fides and pistis in classical and then Hellenistic literature refer to having some kind of understanding or knowledge that leads to action, And I noticed that that's how the word was translated and what that's what it meant. And then it's interesting, too, that I found that there's lots of scholars in what's called the New Pauline perspective who have come to the same conclusions that I have. They're they're from other faiths, of course. But John Barclay has written a lot on, on Carus as well. It's interesting. His book came out, his first book on grace came out in 2015, the same year as mine, and And of course, he's not a a Latter-day Saint, but he's come to the conclusion that chorus means that we have to have a relationship with God and we have to keep commandments and and be involved in a covenant relationship and be faithful and receive more gifts. And then people like N.T. Wright and many others also have been publishing about how faith, the whole idea of faith is mistranslated it often should be translated as faithfulness or a covenant in the new Testament yeah,
0: or, or fidelity, almost uh, fidelity, to, right? Yeah, or loyalty? Yeah. 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 I would agree. And I think you especially see that say in, in Hebrews and places like that, but, uh, mm-hmm. and you've been working on uh commentary on uh, Romans and Galatians. Is that correct? I
1: have. Yeah. So for many years I've been working with uh, John or Jack Welch on Matthew. So we've worked on Matthew for a long time. So I know that volume is supposed to come out. I'm, A co-author with him on that. And then I've been working for probably 10 years on the Peter, first Peter, second Peter and Jude volume. And I know that's maybe a year out. And then for the past year, almost day and night, I've been working on the Romans volume. And so I translated Romans from Greek about two years ago. And right now it's at about 650 pages, single spaced. (laughs) I'm close to sending it out to my, my buddies. um, so Richard Draper and Michael Rhodes and some of those guys are gonna look at the first draft and probably help me with a lot of things. But and then I've also been working on Galatians. Also, I translated Galatians recently, and then I've been working on a commentary. Um, I'm working with a, a former Catholic convert, or he's a Catholic um, priest who joined the church. Uh, Tom Roberts, he, he's the co-author also on Romans. He's been helping me on Romans. But, That's um, great. I've also been publishing. Well, I've been trying to publish for a while uh, a, a history of uh, of the Christian Church from a Latter Day Saint perspective. So it's like a Christian history textbook, mm-hmm. and I I teach a a Christian history class at BYU Idaho. It's Religion 352, and I I made my own translations or found really old ones within the public domain of of every uh, of lots of early Christian documents, and so. And the interpreter is interested in publishing that. And I'm trying to get that ready for publication. Well, that's great. It's about 600 pages
0: long. Oh man! But yeah. other than that, you don't have anything to do. So, well, no, nothing <laughs> else. And, and then
1: I, everybody sends me their, their, you know, Richard Draper, Michael Rhodes. They're always sending me their, their uh, latest chapter that they're working on on something. Yeah. So I've I edited a lot of the volumes of the, the commentary and we had a conference a couple months ago and yeah, lately, lately though, it's just, um, I've been trying to write articles and i am working, trying to write some things with you on, uh, Hesed and how it's translated
0: and Greek. Yeah, and So it's been busy. Yeah. The last, this summer. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, yeah. let's jump in and talk about that a little bit, you know, in, in Romans, we, grace becomes an important topic and the idea of grace and works and so on. And, and, yeah. uh, that's this Harris word. Uh, so you were starting to explain to us what you've learned about it in terms of uh, its relational value, meaning it, it, it's about relationships and so on. Uh, we translate it as grace, as you said, but I think sometimes we misunderstand that. So uh, why don't you explain to us a little bit about what you've learned? Thank you. Well,
1: when I was younger, I remember I had a friend, I lived near an Air Force Base in Utah, Hill Air Force Base. And and I had this friend who his father was the the pastor of the biggest church in town. And one day he just told me that I wasn't a Christian because I didn't believe in grace. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bothered me when I was a young person. And, and I always wanted to know what, what grace meant. And there's all these people who always have all these opinions about what grace means. And I would ask them kind of socratically, like, can you tell me in one word what grace means? And I, I never was able to get a good straight answer. And then when I was in graduate school, I uh, was taking some really hard classes. I was taking a Thucydides seminar. He's a really difficult Greek prose author, classical Greek author. And I noticed that the word charis always established relationships that were alliances, like military alliances between people. And then I noticed that that word is the same word that Paul decided to use when he wrote these epistles. And I noticed that in the King James, they translate sometimes as graces. They, they use a, another word free next to it. But I noticed that there wasn't anything free about how Thucydides was using the word charis. Um, It's free in the sense that it's available, I guess we might say, but not free in the sense you don't have to do anything. And I, I just kind of knew from experience that most people think that the grace of Christ is just it's just out there and then you don't have to do anything. And so I remember I chatted with uh, the the teacher of this Thucydides Seminar, and uh, she was amazing, and she also was a Methodist minister, and I, so I, you know, a lot of classicists don't, are not believers, right, but, yeah. but anyway, I asked her what, um, what she thought about why Thucydides' meaning of grace is different than how they always translate Paul, and I said, I think maybe maybe either the Bible's mistranslated, or maybe there's a big shift in the word. I couldn't figure out what was going on, because I, then I started to notice in all of Greek literature, even down to the time of Paul, Horus was always a relational gift, so I found this in Homer, too, so the idea is, like, um, one example I use in my my book, Relational Grace, is that you have Achilles uh, and Agamemnon, and they're reciprocating gifts, and Achilles can't really pay back Agamemnon, because he's the king, but the idea is that if he is is loyal and faithful as he receives gifts, uh, he's going to do something to reciprocate back. So really, grace is just mostly about a relationship, but the relationship empowers people to action. Yeah. Anyway, th- I, I, so it
0: doesn't have to be an equal relationship, but right. it is a relationship that is truly and formally established and yep. that uh, while one person may give more than the other, they're both going to be doing something in this relationship. Yes, exactly. And
1: and I think historically, people just focus on one side of it, and because of Neoplatonism, they they even get rid of the idea that you have to do anything, partly, I think, because they changed the nature of God. So if you think God is just a, a spiritual force in the universe, you probably wouldn't really have a relationship, right? Right.
0: That's exactly so, right
1: and then you have people like plotinus i used to read a lot of his Aeneids, and and he has this idea that the the one he calls the, the this force the one just gives gifts and you don't have to do anything about it and so i think that and i try to document this in my book and, and some other things but but basically augustine and all these people who changed what the, the idea of grace was they were reading the bible through through plotinus
0: and through neoplatonic philosophy Right. So, so tell, us, tell us when that is in relation to Paul.
1: Yeah. So, Paul, that's, you know, that's 400 years approximately after Paul and the Roman Empire is collapsing. You don't really have the client patron relationship. You don't have relationships really that are strong in this period. And so it makes sense probably for Augustine to change the meaning. But but yeah, Paul Paul is right living in a different world in a client-patron relationship that- structures So, so ex-
0: explain what that is, if you wouldn't mind, the client-patron relationship.
1: Yeah, so in the client-patron relationship, uh, which is what makes Rome tick and which makes the all the Hellenistic world, you know, Judea and everywhere else, that you have, you have a, a patron who can help people. In the ancient world, food supply is a problem, but if you have a powerful patron, they'll make sure you always have food or they'll make sure you have safety or security. Uh, in Roman law, it's all about self-help, so they don't really have a police department. But if you have a powerful patron, he can take care of you. Now, as a person who receives gifts from the patron, you can't really pay him back. But the fact that he gives and provides gifts and services, then you're going to have to have a relationship and then help the the patron with whatever the patron commands
0: or wants. And so, Very good. And and I, maybe I can just point out that, like patron, you can hear the putter. Uh, root yeah, in there right awesome. it has a fatherly a family uh right. root to it and that's that's the idea behind this relationship
1: yes yeah exactly and so there it's kind of like you know jesus talks about how heavenly father who's the ultimate patron a lot of the roman emperors want to be considered the father yeah. right of the of the people um Patera and I pater. guess I should
0: say for our our uh, listeners, our audience, potter father, you can hear that the, the yep. Latin root in there. So
1: yeah, and a lot of Roman. I collect ancient coins. A lot of Roman coins. The Roman emperors look at themselves as the the true, you know, patron deity, and then you have to reciprocate through loyalty and faithfulness
0: to the to the 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 Caesar, the emperor. Right. And that's and, where the pistos or the faithfulness or loyalty or fidelity yes. comes in, right?
1: Yeah. And so it's interesting that that faith and that faith and grace actually work together kind of in the same system. I've also done some research. I know Jack Welch wants me to write a book on called Relational Love, where I go through all of the the word love and how it's relational mm. in the gospel. And I think really that's also a motivating force for grace and and faith is that the patron of ends up loving the client and then the client will love the patron. And they reciprocate Guess What's cool, too, in ancient texts is that the, the client oftentimes will become like the the patron or the father if they reciprocate enough. And and so I think we see this right. principle in the gospel. So in DNC 93, it says Jesus became like the father, grace for grace. So yeah. it's that, that relationship. Um, and so anyway, I, I hope that maybe explains some things about grace. But yeah, faith is also... Uh, important too. one of probably the thing that's most original about my relational faith book is that the it's chapter six where i demonstrate that for gentiles and jews and early christians they symbolize faith by a right hand or sometimes shaking right hands and of course the the hand is a symbol of action and power right. and, and that's what jill Smith's going to teach is that that faith is the power of action in all intelligent beings in the art in the uh, lectures on faith but we see that idea about faith that's restored in the book of mormon too but anyway in a lot of of early christian art and on roman coins and things you see the word faith or fides or pistis or whatever but it, it'll be symbolized by a right hand mm-hmm. so this idea that you're saved by faith alone which later in the fifth century for augustine he says there's only two kinds of faith one is if you have a mental assent to whatever the church is teaching it's called the rule of faith then then you're saved or if you have some emotional born again immediate salvation experience then you're saved too so the, the problem is though is the whole idea of faith is that you're faithful and it's a process it's not a one-time event right and it's it's based on action so i'm i'm also just shocked that the book of mormon has these old ideas of faith and grace and the doctrine of covenants i just can't believe how jill the smith would know all these kinds of things, um, yeah,
0: but but his uh, the way he uses it is consistent with, say, the era of Paul, yes. not the era of Joseph Smith, which is the yeah. inheritor really of Saint Augustine and and his ideas. Right. And Luther, so I'd like, um, yeah, 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 exactly right. So, I'd yeah. like if it's like oh, grace, go ahead,
1: like grace or whatever, right, with Luther.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I'd like, if it's all right, to explore for a moment, uh, especially because uh, you get in Romans 11, this uh, kind of tension between faith and works and so on that causes a number of people problems. Uh, Both uh, I've heard, uh, I have to say, I've been in uh, gospel doctrine lessons where. Uh, we threw out grace basically because we, we wanted to be different than uh, some other Christians. And uh, so we just focused on works and just kind of tossed away the idea of grace. And I've been uh, among some of uh, our Christian cousins who kind of tossed away the idea of works. But I think that your understanding of, of Charis can help us with wow. this, this wrestle. So uh, I'm going to kind of state again a little bit, uh, uh, rephrase it a little differently, but what I said earlier that a uh, charis is uh, something that uh, a benefactor or a, a patron who is in a relationship with someone extends to them, uh, not expecting that they extend back the exact same thing or that they are, can do the same thing for them, but that expecting that they do something uh, mm-hmm. because it's a relationship. And when you yeah. do something for someone, even if the, the only thing they do in return is love you and and, and stay loyal on that relationship, yeah. that's something you do back. And, and that's Hara. So when I say it that way, it should sound a whole lot like the idea of a covenant to Latter-day Saints, yes, right? Yeah, yes. that's exactly right. Uh, so you've got a covenant. That's where we're in a relationship with God. And and I've been teaching that for, I don't know, like five, six, seven years now, uh, that the, the point of the covenant is to establish this relationship with God and uh, when you do so, you both promise each other things. God has a lot more to give than we do, but what that's he right. asks of us is primarily love uh, yeah. and, and fidelity or, or uh, yeah. uh, uh, faithfulness within First there. Uh, right. That's exactly right. And then he ex- asks us to extend that to others. And the word that typically sums up what god gives to us and then that we should give to others is this word that we've talked about a bit in the church lately and that president nelson is really keyed in on which is the word chesed right Mm -hmm. the hebrew word chesed which is often translated as loving kindness uh or uh sometimes just uh, mercy uh or sometimes goodness uh, along those lines so that's the project brent and i are kind of working on together now is uh when they take the word chesed in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible done by a bunch of Jews, uh, how what Greek words did they choose to use, and so on? Because we're we're I think, and you tell me if I have this uh, wrong, but we're both struck by the idea that in in many ways, probably, um, like when Paul uses the word charis, he probably has. Keep in mind, Greek is uh something i mean he's raised in greek greek speaking right he's he's very proficient in, in uh because he's from tarsus he can speak greek fine but his liturgical language is hebrew
1: yeah. and
0: he's more than familiar with the concept of chesed and i suspect that it is chesed that paul has in mind yeah mm-hmm. when he is talking about grace what what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so i think all these principles um... You know, are relational, uh, and yes. I think a lot of times, you know, whether it's mercy, you know, that's a gift, isn't it? Right, and so yeah. if if God's merciful to us, then we have to be merciful
0: to others and and forgive others, right? Right, and He teaches that Christ teaches that pretty clearly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so I found that in the Septuagint, they use different words. Sometimes it's karis, sometimes it's uh, elios, sometimes it's. But um, I've also found too that sometimes when people are translating the Bible from Greek into other Semitic languages, they're actually using hesed when they translate charis into yeah. like Syriac or something I found. And, and some of the research I've been doing, you know, these last few months.
0: Because it just makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, charis, charis is sometimes it's a translated as love, which is also relational. Yeah. The yes. whole ancient world is relational. The problem I think is in the last three or 400 years, we've been, we've become a very individualistic society where we don't put a lot of emphasis on, you know, relationships. And I think maybe Luther's ideas about grace have, have, and I think our ideas of love are also very different than they would be anciently. But that's one of the problems with studying ancient world is you almost have to get into like a time machine and, and be flexible enough to realize, okay, this is how an ancient person would understand things. And, and, but yeah, but, but um, I think Hesed actually, sometimes it's translated as grace. Sometimes it's even translated as faith or, yeah. or
0: loyalty. Yeah. That's another and it, usually it's always a covenantal relational word. Yeah. Like and again, th- those ideas are so tied together because that's what God asks within the covenant is for fidelity or, or loyalty. Right. Uh, right. And that's how it's often described in the old Testament when he compares it to a marriage covenant. Like I, I right. expect you to be faithful to me the way a spouse is faithful to their spouse. Um, and and as a result, I'm giving you chesed, and I expect you to give chesed to others. And so they are so intertwined that it's not surprising that when they're choosing to translate, that they may one time use charas, another time uh, pistos, or something like that. But, yeah, uh,
1: else or something, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Exactly. So with that, oh, go
1: ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, maybe just a couple of uh, verses here. Um, yeah, like, that's what know, I was going
0: to ask, Is maybe we could look at, at, at Romans 11 or, or uh, yeah. some verses elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, whatever you'd like uh, maybe, to, to yeah. examine them with this idea of kind of a covenantal grace or maybe a chesed-like grace being spoken of
1: yeah it's amazing too that that joseph smith understands this idea of covenants and our prophet president nelson's emphasizing this special covenant path that's all really about chesed and yeah and, and pistis and
0: and agape and yeah, uh, and President Nelson has been talking about chesed, right? So it's it's fun. He
1: was, yeah, he was. You're right, yeah. He 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 uh he uses this this chesed word to help us learn about covenants. So in uh, Romans one seventeen, this is one of the you know we call a proof text of our Protestant friends. It says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the the just shall live by faith. So he's quoting Habakkuk. Here, right right? the the idea for a a jewish person wouldn't be like a like a mystical faith or i agree with the church or as a mental ascent kind of faith which is how most people read the bible but it's this idea that the justice of god is revealed from faithfulness to faithfulness and the just will live by loyalty or faithfulness right and that would happen within a covenant for habakkuk and then also in the new covenant of jesus joseph 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 Smith jumps in in the, the King James and he explains through faith on his name. So the idea is that it's in his name, it's in a covenant kind of a in the Joseph Smith translation. So I really like that one. Right. Good. Um, let's see another one. Uh, Romans 3. Uh, this one's interesting too. Romans 3.24. So being justified. Justified, the Greek just means dikaios means something like becoming a, a just person or Living according with with fairness, eternal fairness, right. And then the the King James, and, trampled,
0: and my guess would be that the Hebrew equivalent there is actually um, uh, Shafat, but that's another word study yeah, I have to true. do. But anyway, yeah, that's true. Which is judgment or to be made right under the law. But anyway, yeah, right go under ahead. The law,
1: exactly. And then another thing to know too about Romans is when people see the word law or works, so. The word law, the the Greek word nomos just means like customs. And so N.T. Wright and lots of people in the New Perspective just say, you know, the law is usually just referring almost always just to the law of Moses and works are just the details of the law of Moses, not the fact that we're supposed
0: to do things. Right. That's exactly right. It's, it's, It's talking about like keeping all the little elements of the law perfectly, basically.
1: Right, which, which is uh, no longer important for Christians, right? right. The moment, Jesus and, and was
0: never possible anyway is the point that Paul so often makes uh, and that even well, Peter made, uh, right? Well, and Nephi will make that uh, you cannot keep this perfectly. So don't try and rely on that to bring you redemption or salvation.
1: That's yes, that's so true. Uh, And so in verse 24, uh, Martin Luther actually even admits that he adds the word align in here in German, which means freely. He says it's not there, but he thinks it should be there. But Hmm. the word freely isn't really in the Greek at all. It just means something like becoming just by his chorus. And so the idea is that Christ gives us this special atonement, but that hopefully will invite us to have a relationship and then keep his commandments and love God through the redemption, right? That is in Christ Jesus. So, so the idea is that th- these are special favors within a covenant that we receive. And then we can choose not to keep the covenant. In Galatians later, it says we can fall from grace. And the reason we can fall, it's kind of like the Iliad is if if we're not like Agamemnon and and Achilles are reciprocating gifts. And, and then if we decide, oh, we don't want to keep reciprocating. You know, um, Agamemnon stills Achilles' girlfriend, and that's why you have all the problems of the Trojan War is because, you know, this chorus relationship isn't happening. Uh, and and so, yeah, we can choose not to accept Jesus as atonement. We can choose so, not to repent.
0: Uh, exactly right, and then then we lose the the gift that He's giving us. Right, we're no mm-hmm. longer in that relationship. Yeah, there's no more covenant. So,
1: right? no more covenant
0: faithfulness. So that's right. That's exactly right. So what would you say if if I were to read verse 24 and, and say uh, being made right or correct uh, by God's chesed through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? Wouldn't, that's
1: perfect. Yeah, because there's love, there's mercy, there's a gift there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it fits, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it works really well uh, yeah. and hopefully helps us understand some of what Paul is, I think, trying to teach here.
1: Yep. Joseph Smith adds just, you know, therefore being justified only by his grace. So it's not free in the sense you don't have to do anything, but we do have to, I think when you say only, you think, oh, Jesus, Jesus is hesed or Paris is so awesome that now I'm invited. I'm really going to change my life here.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know? that's really what it's trying to get through. But you, you be faithful in this covenant and the power of God will redeem you. Is yep. what basically power of God uh, th- that comes about because of the re- the atonement of Jesus Christ will redeem or save or reunite you is really what he's teaching in that verse. And and again, there's some ordinances involved, right, with
1: covenants. Yeah, and and later in in Romans uh, chapter eight, we're going to learn about you know the importance of baptism, and so that's a very special covenant that. And then gifts. Yeah, well, spirit. that's how
0: you formally enter into the relationship, right? right. The relationships are formal. Mm-hmm, they um, are, and and they're made formal through covenant. So yeah, yeah
1: we, yeah, we have to have the covenants, and and then again, there's a there's an agreement that happens. Let's do a few more here. Uh, Galatians, maybe we could do a couple of Galatians, but uh, Romans chapter ten. If you read here, through, a lot of people just think you just say the name of Jesus in your say but I have in a lot of research I've done for this commentary before you get baptized you confess the name of the lord uh, Jesus in verse 9 so Romans 10:9 and then it doesn't say in the greek and shall believe in thine heart it says that you'll have pistis piste the verb is pisteuo so you'll you'll trust or we might say you know understand and become faithful and the fact that jesus was resurrected
0: yeah you could and almost which, say you'd have covenant uh loyalty yeah uh, in your heart it'd be written in your heart the way jeremiah would say it right
1: yeah it's written in your heart yeah and then there's another another scripture they're quoting yeah whoever believes on him well would probably say more like whoever you know trusts in him mm-hmm. and is loyal within this covenant will not be ashamed and yeah. now we know that the covenant can also be for jews and Greeks, so that's in verse 12 but anyway that's how i think we call upon the name you can't call upon the name of jesus unless you have a relationship right jesus right. talks about that in the gospels um, a lot of people will say lord lord but it won't help them out the, the yeah judgment right
0: and you'll say i didn't really know you even though you called on me we didn't really have a relationship
1: yeah no relationship and then verse 17, if we go down uh, Romans 10 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing. We could probably say faithfulness or trust understanding, this covenantal relationship comes when we hear. And so I think there's a big part. We have to understand the covenant, I think, to, to be able to follow the different aspects of it. Yeah. And you can plug in covenant a lot of times when we see faith in Romans. So, Honestly, when I translated Romans, I was surprised how how clear it seemed after it was just translated from a first century perspective. I think in the King James, it seems pretty torturous and doesn't make a lot of sense. Because they're trying to understand Romans through Luther or through Augustine or Calvin
0: or somebody. Right. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. And it's uh, much more clear if we can go with the way Paul was really trying to look at it. Yeah, so... That's so before we do Galatians, would it be all right if we just talked a little bit about uh, chapter 11, verse 5
1: and 6? Let's do that, yeah. Okay, 5 and 6 here. Yeah, and so it says, and even so, so he uh, Romans 11, 5 and 6. So uh, even so then at the present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So you think, okay, so if we put chorus in there, so that's a special gift. Are people chosen because they are given a gift? Yeah, so in Calvinistic doctrine, they they have a, a different idea that some people were born out of nothing to be saved or not. But, yeah. but the idea is that God just gives gifts, doesn't he? Um, to us, uh, like the gift of his son, like mortality, like bodies, prophets, priesthood. And if like Horus, right? So So this special gift... Chorus uh, is not involved with the details of the Law of Moses, is it? And, right. and then it says, otherwise, Chorus isn't a Chorus anymore. But, but but, so it's really not related to the details of the Law of Moses or these special works that are involved in the Law of Moses. Um, and then it talks about, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Uh, right. And so a lot of people would say, Grace and, and works are are very different kinds of things, but the law of Moses is quite different, especially in some of the the parts that that were superseded. We do know, though, in in Acts chapter fifteen, when they have the conference, they decide there are a few things of the law of Moses they're going to keep. Right. But yeah, this um, yeah this idea of grace would just be a favor that an ancient. Uh, Roman would just say, who speaks Greek, they'd just say, oh, okay, I'm supposed to not worry so much about the, the law of Moses here and these these works of it. It's
0: not really about not being a disciple of Jesus right. Christ. And and I find it ironic because I've actually heard people say, okay, you don't need to be baptized because of verse six, uh, because baptism is a work. But I think when we understand it in, in its context, it, it's ironically, I think, saying the opposite. It's saying... You're not going to be saved by keeping the law perfectly. No one's going to make it. No one can keep all of it. No one's going to keep it perfectly. So you're going to be saved by having a gift from God that you obtain because you're in a relationship with him. Which actually is a way of saying because you're in a covenant relationship with him, which is in a way of saying because you've been baptized and then you keep your baptismal covenant. So I think it actually is arguing for baptism. But but my point really is that I I think it's saying, yeah, we should all, because we're in a relationship with God and we love him, we should all try and do what he says. But you're not going to be saved by the doing. You're going to be saved by that loving relationship that you have for each other. Yes.
1: Yeah, there's some people in the church who think they can work their way into heaven, which uh, or do certain actions or in Paul's time they thought by maybe keeping every detail of the law of Moses perfectly that they could that that would would help them, but but grace of of our savior Jesus Christ will manifest in other gifts like the the most important gift we receive after we're accepting the the grace of Jesus Christ as atonement and we get baptized is the gift of the Holy Ghost which is another grace. Yes, it's it, it's not related to details of the law of Moses or, but the Holy Ghost in that relationship will help us to and empower us, enable us. I think ultimately the the relationship is what enables or empowers us. As a lot of prophets sometimes use enabling power as yeah of
0: grace right, which is what it does ultimately. Yeah, exactly right. And so it, it seems to me that the doing of things like the doing of what God wants us to do or or works, that's the natural byproduct of the loving covenantal relationship where God loves us so much. He's saving us and we love him so much. We're doing what he wants us to do. Uh, And so if we're focusing on the love, God and love each other, then the other stuff just happens and we don't have to stress over it. If we're focusing on the doing, then there's stress and it doesn't necessarily create the love. Mm -hmm. Love creates the doing, doing, helps us love we certainly love more when we're serving people that's right but but it doesn't work as well when we we approach it backwards we have to approach it forwards which is on the relationship and the love
1: it is that's what grace is about ultimately in covenants and we know too the lord in this dispensation he's going to say the power of godliness is revealed through the through the ordinances so yeah so there are these special ordinances uh the word endowment in french just means a gift isn't it yeah that's exactly the the temple increases and helps build our relationship to where we are going to do the right things for the right reasons. Cause we love God. And because we we're thankful and grateful, I guess you would might even say that the, the sacrifice we're supposed to give is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Yeah. I think, which is, which is a, a result of,
0: of understanding the chorus gifts of our heavenly father, the obliging gifts. Yeah. So well said. Well, we have maybe could we spend five minutes on your verses in Galatians you were thinking of? Yeah, there's some there's
1: some really good ones.
0: Uh we could
1: talk about Ephesians too. Those are sometimes these are just I'm just kind of pulling out proof text so that people think that they know what grace is based on yeah. Well, whichever
0: verses. you'd like to talk about. We've got just a couple minutes.
1: Okay. Um in verse uh chapter two, verse. Of Galatians,
0: of Galatians,
1: yes, it says, "I do not frustrate the grace of God." Right, uh, for the righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So a lot of people would say, "Well, what does that mean?" Uh, Martin uh, uh, Martin Luther he said that that grace uh, and faith are imputed; that Christ Christ's faith or great uh, and his grace magically becomes ours, right? But but the idea is that the, the grace of our, our Savior doesn't come about by details of the law. But we see in, in Paul's life, because the Savior has a relationship with him that began on the road to Damascus, he is going to magnify his calling greatly. And, and I think that's what it means is that that if he doesn't magnify his calling because of the obligation of, of charis, then Christ is dead in vain and, and all for all of us, too. If we choose not to accept the atonement of Jesus Christ, it, it makes it uh, in some way so that this
0: horus is um, in vain. Right. Yeah. If, if we are focusing on the doing and, and I'll tell you, I actually I'm not going to say who and I shouldn't be so judgmental, but I know some people who I, I think that they they're doing what they do. Um, because they think they should out of a sense of duty. And they even love out of a sense of duty. And they can do a, a number of very good things, but not as much as if they were doing things because they love God and love each other. And then the love is real and, and powerful as opposed to it doesn't quite feel like love. right? Uh, we, we need to not frustrate this uh, relationship with mm-hmm. God, this covenantal relationship and gift that comes from God, uh, by focusing only on, on the law. We focus on the relationship and love, and then Christ is not dead in vain because he can actually save us. But he can't save us if we're not focusing on that covenantal relationship and the chesed that God gives to us and that we should give to him and others as a result.
1: Excellent. Thank you. You summed it up really well there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of verses here. Uh, one of the, another verse, Galatians three eleven says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God... It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Again, if you tra- if you take uh, faith and make it faithfulness, mm-hmm. loyalty within a covenant. In in some ways, we see that the law of Moses didn't even really help people to become faithful, but we see here that if we're really going to be just, we'll have to be faithful. And of course, you're you're faithful to Jesus Christ within a covenant, aren't you? Yes. And yeah. It's here, yeah, thirteen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses everyone that hangeth on on the tree." So we see the the chorus again is is the fact that Jesus gave us this gift. He he paid back the price of of our sins, and and for that reason, hopefully we are grateful and and thankful. We have broken hearts and contrary spirits, and we're gonna love God. We're going to keep all his commandments. We're going to get baptized, keep those baptismal covenants, progress along the covenant path. Because we can't we can't redeem ourselves. Uh, we can't work our way to heaven. We can't pay God back, but but the fact that we need Christ, I think helps us as kind of like the client patron relationship as the client to look at Jesus as the ultimate patron. I know some people in the New Testament um scholar, well, the the New Pauline perspective of the New Testament, they would say that Christ in some ways is the broker of our heavenly father. And he he helps with the gifts. And, and those those gifts will in, encourage us. But we know in verse 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be, but a man's covenant. So again, we have this idea of covenant. And then we see Abraham, he's like the the best example of covenantal faithfulness later in chapter three. So anyway, yeah. they're probably
0: out of time there. but Well, that, that's a great way to wrap it up in this idea that uh, faithfulness within the covenant, which should come because we feel loved and we love within the covenant, is what will make all the difference. We will never save ourselves by the law, but but by the gift of God, which is possible because of his son, Jesus Christ. So I like in some ways that idea of being the broker or we could call it the mediator. Um, the mediator,
1: yeah. That's yeah. What he says
0: um, that uh, God's gift that he wants to give to us is possible, A, if we are in the relationship with him, B, if we are faithful in the relationship with him, loving him and loving his children, and C, because of Jesus Christ who made it all possible to happen, then we can be saved. And that's fantastic news that I think we can understand better if we understand this way that I think Paul intended for us to understand his writings. So thank you so much. Thank Brent.
1: You, it's been a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Uh, well, and we'll have Brent on plenty uh, more as time goes on. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of good stuff with him uh, several more times this, uh, this year is the plan. So uh, I'm just grateful for the, The great uh, information that you've shared that I I hope will not only help us make sense of Romans, but of a number of other of Paul's teachings, that it will just help us make sense of it and tie it into what we know from the Old Testament and and the gospel in general. So, thank you so much. We hope that it's helpful for others and that they'll share this with others and uh, the teachings and maybe even the podcast. So, thank you, Brent.
1: Thank you, Carrie.